about the need for boldness in the midst of an evil world. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment or two. I do want to just take this opportunity to again express appreciation for your presence tonight. We're very grateful for you being here. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for spirit and in truth. And if you are looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our church family. As uh, Brad mentioned a moment ago, we're always grateful to welcome people into the church here at Olive Branch. Let's think for a minute or two about the need for boldness in the midst of an evil world. For the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the devil and his work in our private lives and the fact that the devil has made inroads into the private lives of many, many people. And so as a result of that, we are faced with a lot of problems in the world. Specifically, we face an uphill battle in this country. Things have changed dramatically over the last 50 years in America, and I suspect that they will continue I would imagine that things will continue to change over the course of time. And uh, there's been a steady erosion of morals in our nation. And I really don't see things getting better, but hopefully and prayerfully we can make a difference. And so I believe that in light of what we're facing in the world today, specifically in this country, we need to be very bold in our faith and in our defense of the faith. We need to do so in a kind and loving way, but we need to certainly stand up for what is right. And uh, what I want to do the next week or two is talk about some of the things that are going on. And tonight I really want to look at Acts chapters 4 and 5 and use that as a template for what we're facing in our country and the need for boldness in in our country. I want to begin by just sharing with you a very brief article that I came across this past week. And this article number nine issue of Sports Illustrated 2019. And what caught my attention was the title of the article, Faith, Football, and the Fervent Religious Culture at Dabo Sweeney's Clemson. And then I want you to listen to the caption. College football is a religion at many schools, but for the reigning national champs, religion is a religion. Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney has made Christianity the foundation of his program. And he goes on to talk about how it has brought together players and coaches. But then listen to this question that is raised. Has he gone too far? Now, without going into a lot of detail about the article, and I may look at it more in detail next week, but the bottom line is, as a result of some events that have occurred on the practice field and because of their pronounced emphasis on religion, Clemson has come into fire by groups that are in opposition to Christianity. And really what what happened is there is a watchdog that has tried to 
cite Clemson and basically say that they are in violation of separation of church and state. I do not believe that to be the case. And I'll talk more about that next week, but I use this as somewhat of a microcosm of what we're facing in our country. And if you go back and you look at our Constitution, there is nothing in our Constitution, nothing, and I would underscore that, there is nothing about the separation of church and state. Our founding fathers never intended for there to be a separation of religion and civil government. If you don't believe that, look at all the monuments in our country that have inscriptions on them of Bible verses and references to God. They really believe strongly in the God of the Bible. Now, their understanding of Scripture may have differed from ours, but they had a strong and abiding belief in God and in His Word. They believed in the sovereignty of God, and they believed that the perpetuity of this nation was tied to our allegiance to God and His Word. And so, as I said a moment ago, there has been a steady erosion in our country, morally speaking. And there has been an all-out assault led by some in political circles with regard to the Christian religion. As a matter of fact, if you are a Christian in America today, then you are, in many respects, public enemy number one. I wonder what the watchdogs in our country would do if a university, let's just say a university football team, began reading the Quran and emphasizing the importance of adhering to the teaching of Islam. You think there would be a problem? You think they would be cited, violating church and state, I doubt it. That's what we're up against. And I believe with all my heart that unless we as God's people stand up and start speaking out and letting people know that, look, we are citizens in this country and we are not going to be pushed around by those to the left. That time has come. It's time for us to stand up and speak up because I promise you, those on the left are doing everything within their power to, des to destroy the ideals of Christianity. And so what we have to do is stand up and say, you know what, that's not going to pass. We've got, we've got a voice, we've got a vote, we have the right to be bold in our faith and we need to be bold in our faith. For far too long, we have allowed the left in this country to push us around. And let me tell you what, they are gaining ground. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul said, neither give place or opportunity to the devil. And that word place there is the word from which we get our term topography. And what Paul is saying is, do not allow the devil to buy up real estate in your life. Let me just say, he has bought up a lot of real estate in this world. 
He is identified as the God of this age. Now you can go back to the first century and you can see that the church was born in a cradle of persecution. The Jews sought to the best of their ability to destroy and wreak havoc on the church. Saul of Tarsus was a great opponent of the church. The Roman authorities, they had a lot to say about Christianity and they sought to impose their will and their way on those who were adherents to Christianity. So the question is, what about us today? Will we demonstrate the same level of boldness that they did in the first century? I want you to look with me, if you would, tonight in our study at Acts chapters 4 and 5, or really just Acts chapters 3 and 4. And I want to begin by talking about the early saints, specifically in our context tonight, we're talking about Peter and John. And I want to emphasize their broadcast of the Lord. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, the first few verses in chapter 4. What you're going to find out is they have been apprehended by the authorities. Note if you would in verse 1. As they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now you remember in chapter 3, Peter and John had healed a lame man at the gate of the temple. They had performed a great miracle. As a result of that, that drew a lot of attention. Peter, of course, is on record in chapter 3 as preaching the resurrected Christ. The fact that they had killed the Prince of Life, God had raised him from the dead, and he said, we are his witnesses, in verse 15. So here they are, they're preaching and teaching God's word. They are talking about the resurrected Christ. And if you look at the first several chapters in the book of Acts, great attention is placed on the resurrected Christ. These guys were not willing to put their lives on the line for a fable or a myth. They believed in the resurrected Christ. Verse 3 says they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So the church is growing by leaps and bounds. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. We've got now a record of 5,000 men at least being a part of the body of Christ. And so the church is off and running. Peter and John and the other apostles, they're doing their best to share the gospel message. As Jesus had said prior to ascending, ascending to heaven, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end. All right, look at verse 5, if you would. In verse 5, we have Luke recording these words. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice, if you would, their appraisal of Peter and John. They, they've apprehended them. 
And now they apprise their situation. They want to know, by what power, what name have you done this great miracle? And the Bible says when Peter, rather the Bible says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to, the, to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Now, they're interrogating Peter and John. And they've asked the question, by what name, what power have you done this great miracle? And the bottom line is, it was a result of the power of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, they say, this is a stone which, which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. And then note verse 12. And keep in mind his audience. He's talking to the Jewish Sanhedrin, a governing body of some 70 or 71 individuals. The high priest is over this governing body, made up of many Pharisees, a lot of Sadducees. And so in verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you talk about throwing the gauntlet down and drawing a line in the sand as we say, that's exactly what they did. They are before the Jewish hierarchy and they say, look, if you want to be saved, if anyone wants to be saved, you need to understand the only one who can save is Jesus, the very Son of God. And he had already pointed out, he had already indicted them as having crucified the Son of God, hadn't he? Didn't Jesus say in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Note, if you would now, their impression of Peter and John. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled had you stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin on that, on that day and they had examined you would they have said of you what they said of Peter and John they recognized their boldness and note if you would Luke says in the latter part of verse 13 and they realized they had been with Jesus. Do you not think that that was a difference maker? I mean, these guys have been three, three and a half years with Jesus. They have heard him preach time and again. His message has resonated in their lives. They have come to believe with conviction that his word and his word alone has the power to save. You remember, do you remember Peter? Now we talk about the wavering faith of Peter at times. And the fact that Peter would oftentimes get himself in trouble because he would speak before he thought. But in John chapter 6 when Jesus identified himself as that living bread that had come down from heaven. And Jesus said, except you eat my body and drink, or rather eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. The Bible says that many of his disciples went back walked no more with him. 
The Lord then asked them a question, and the Lord Jesus Christ didn't compromise. He didn't make concessions, but rather he simply asked, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. He went on to say, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. These men had become convinced that Jesus was deity, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Savior of the human family. So they have heard him preach time and again. His message again has resonated in their lives. They have seen firsthand all the miracles that he's performed. Do you not think those miracles made a profound impression upon their lives? Those miracles authenticating the claims of Jesus that he was the Son of God? And so the Sanhedrin, they've come to the conclusion, look, these guys have been with the Lord Jesus. They haven't been to any rabbinical school. They haven't been to school like Nicodemus. They haven't had the opportunity to sit at the feet of a Gamaliel. But they have been at the feet of Jesus of Nazareth. And as a result of that, he has made a profound impression upon their lives. So they're out broadcasting far and wide this great gospel message. Now I want you to think in the second place of their behavior. And note if you would, as we think about their behavior, they are really reprimanded and requested to not teach nor preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Note if you would the testimony of the Sanhedrin. In verse 14, the Bible says, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They couldn't argue the facts. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But now note their threat. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. Imagine being threatened by this very powerful governing body. And they're telling you, I don't want you preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. In a sense, is that not what some are saying in our nation today? Don't need to be talking about Jesus. Don't need to be public with regard to your faith. You don't need to be reading scripture publicly. You sure don't need to be praying publicly. Now note, verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, you imagine this Jewish hierarchy I mean, these guys have lots of power, very influential, and they are trying to put their thumbs on Peter and John. They said, in effect, look, you're not to preach, you're not to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But look at verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. And I love verse 20. Because in verse 20, here's what they say. 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now when I look at Luke's record here, and the fact that Peter and John are not willing to be pushed around, they're not going to back down, they're not recanting, they're not willing to be pushed to the side, muzzled if you please, no, they say, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Two things stand out to me. Number one, their conviction. Do you not think that Peter and John, along with the other apostles, were people of great conviction? Where do you think that conviction came from? Verse 13 says they had been with Jesus. They had spent three, three and a half years with Jesus. Had you spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus and you had been around him day and night, you had heard him preach, you had seen the miracles that he performed time and again, would that not have left a mark on your life? Would it have not, would it have not radically changed your thinking and your mindset? I mean, these guys are willing literally to turn the world upside down because of the time that they spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are people of great conviction. Is it possible that in the 21st century, we lack the conviction of the early church? Is it possible that we're really not as convicted about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He means to our lives and the important message that He has to a lost and dying world. Is it possible that that message has not resonated with us and as a result of that, we're not willing to stand and be counted? Do we lack conviction? Second thing that stands out, not only were these guys men of conviction, but they were men of great courage. Now you just imagine, you're before this Jewish governing body that wields a lot of power. And you're standing before them and they're telling you, look, we don't want you preaching, we don't want you teaching, we don't want you saying a word about the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't it take a lot of courage to stand up and say, let me tell you what, you think what you want to think, you do what you want to do, but let me tell you, we're going to keep preaching, we're going to keep teaching, doesn't matter. The devil's made a lot of inroads in the lives of people, and there has been an all-out assault in our world by the devil and his comrades. And what he wants to do is muzzle us like the apostles of old. Don't speak up about your faith. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the church that Jesus died and bled for. Don't talk about the importance of prayer in our lives. That's the world, isn't it? 
The devil is identified as the God of this age. And the devil has hijacked a lot of real estate in our world. I believe it's time to take it back. I believe it's time for us to stand up. Now, Luke talks about the boldness of Peter and John. And I want to talk a little bit about their boldness. Because if you look at the latter part, well, picking up in verse 21 and following, Luke has a lot to say about the boldness of these two individuals. And really, it's quite impressive. And I'm convinced that in this day and time, we need that same measure of boldness. I want to begin by talking about their prayer to the Lord. Now, in verse 21, the Bible says, When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was well over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they go back and they rehearse the events of the things that have taken place. And then here's what they do. They bow their heads and pray to a faithful Lord. In verse 24, the Bible says, When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David is said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So they pray to a faithful God. But note if you would, they pray to be fearless for their God. Verse 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In effect, what they did they prayed to God. Would there be anything wrong with the church universally praying to God that we might gain traction in a world that has literally given itself over to the devil? Would it be wrong for the church in America to pray that God would open doors of opportunity so that we might boldly share our faith? Would it be wrong for us in the church to do as they did and to pray that God would grant us a measure of boldness to be fearless in speaking His name? You know, I believe the Lord is interested in the sanctity of human life. I believe that our, our bodies are precious in His sight. We've been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
But God places more value on the inner man than the outer man, doesn't he? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sent the, sent the disciples out to preach and teach about the coming of the kingdom of God? If you go back and you look in Matthew chapter 10, well, just go back with me for a moment and look at this. I want you to see something in Matthew 10. Note if you would what Jesus said and really kind of a preview of things to come. In verse 16, Jesus said, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Is it not the case today that we need to be, as these people in days gone by, wise as serpents and harmless as doves as we interact with those in the world today? Particularly those who have no use for Christianity. In verse 18, he said, You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to, the, and to the Gentiles. And then drop down, look at verse 21. He said, brother will deliver up brother to death. Father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Sounds like tough times, doesn't it? In verse 22, he said, you'll be hated by all men for my name's sake. Have you ever seen a time in America where people are more hostile, openly speaking, toward Christianity than they are today? Did we have this kind of hostility 50 years ago? And then look at verse 23. He said, they'll persecute you. When they persecute you in this city, he said, flee to the next. But in light of all that, I want you to see, look at verse 26. Jesus said, therefore, in light of this, in light of, in light of what you're going to face, here's, here's your attitude. Therefore, do not fear them. Look at verse 28. Do not fear them. Look at verse 31. Do not fear them. The apostles prayed for boldness. And we need to be bold in our defense of the faith in the world today. In America today, don't we? And look at what Jesus said. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There were a lot of saints in the first century that were put to death for their faith, weren't they? And they stood. And they were not willing to be moved or shoved around. They weren't willing to be intimidated. They were not going to compromise or concede any ground, spiritually speaking. And I would suggest that we need to be just as bold. We need to be firm but kind when it comes to our conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then note, if you would, note the continuation in Acts chapter 4. In verse 31. In verse 31, the Bible says, And when they had prayed, do you believe in the power of prayer? Didn't James say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? Do you think when we ask God for boldness when it comes to our faith that God would grant that request? Do you believe that? Listen to what it said. 
When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But note this, and this is what I want you to see. They spoke the word of God with boldness. They were brave and they were bold. Tough times call for tough people. And we need, we're going to have to saddle up and be tough, aren't we? We're going to have to be willing to stand. Read, read what the media writes. Read what these guys are saying on the news, the various news outlets in our country tonight. Look, this place has changed. And as I said a moment ago, there is an all-out assault to change the landscape of the country in which we live. And if we sit back and allow those on the left to continue to chip away bit by bit, piece by piece, we're going to be amazed at how few rights we end up with in this country. It's time for us to stand up and to speak out and to be vocal in our opposition to those who want to minimize the importance of Christianity in this country. I would ask this question. To those who are doing everything within their power to undermine the country as we know it, given the latitude that they, that they have been given in recent years, the fact that we have abdicated in many public sectors the right to pray, the right to read scripture, the right to be vocal in the right to be vocal with regard to our faith, could I ask this question? How's that working out? Look, we've got kids, we've got young folks walking around with weapons taking the lives of countless numbers of people. We've got older people doing it. And I hear a lot of people talking about we need to ban guns. Let me tell you what, the problem is not guns. The problem is the people who use the guns. Somebody says, well, that's foolish. I understand there needs, there needs to be tighter restriction in some areas. A gun never killed anybody. People kill people. Just like a fork. Fork doesn't make somebody fat. Think about it. If somebody's fat and overweight, and you say, you got a problem with your weight, they say, well, the fork made me do it. Baloney. That's the kind of ignorance that we're confronted with in this society. It is an ignorant society. And we are ignorant when it comes to the laws of God and the Constitution. And what they're doing is trying to undermine our God-given rights, or our rights, let me say that. So I want to talk a little bit more about that in the future. But you know, some of the things that, we're, some of the things that are going on, just common sense. Common sense. And we have thrown common sense to the wind. Like Hosea said long ago, 
They've sown to the wind, they'll reap the whirlwind. We are reaping the whirlwind of unbelief. So, what I want to encourage us to do is stand tall in the saddle. Man up, woman up, stand up, speak up, and don't let anybody push you around because you believe the Bible and because you believe there is a God in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the many blessings and favors that we enjoy. We're grateful for the opportunity to come before your throne, to pray as they did in the first century. We pray for boldness. We pray that we would be kind but firm in our defense of Christianity. And Father, we pray that we would use the influence that we have in this nation and in this world to be salt and light, to do everything within our power to share Jesus with those around us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be, the divine Son of God, you'd be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be buried with him in baptism, then all your sins can be washed away. God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, you need the prayers of the church, maybe you're struggling with problems and difficulties in life, you just need the prayers of faithful Christians. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. We stand and sing.